0: Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com, or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk, hey. Barry Hawk, how are you, sir, and welcome to ATV Talk. Thanks for giving us some time.
1: Yeah, glad to be here and uh, glad to talk ATVs. Uh, that's uh, always been a passion of mine, and I'm not doing them so much nowadays, but yeah, they're, they always got a soft spot in my heart. So like riding them, I don't really get to ride them too much anymore, but I still love riding them. Still love watching them.
0: That's awesome. That's I'm still living the life and I, and, and I still enjoy it all. So how's life been treating you so far? I mean, what are you doing now?
1: Well, currently I am the team manager for the factory gas gas uh, bike team for GNCC's National Enduros U.S. Sprint Enduros. So I'm, I'm a really busy person with uh, with working with the factory um, alongside my factory guys, which are uh, Ricky Russell, Johnny Gerard, I have uh, five support guys that are on the team. So I've got seven guys on my team, two full-time factory guys, and not just with that, but actually my son races the e-bikes, which has been growing tremendously back East here with the uh, GNCC. So he actually has a sponsor with high bike, which, um, in the GNCC world, there's another brand that is kind of dominant, but my son's riding high bike and, uh, they support him, sponsor him and, They've been uh, really good to us, so my son is very passionate and he's uh i don't know that he's ever really ridden an a t v much he's ridden a dirt bike a little bit, but he loves riding his bicycle so he's uh he's all into that, and i'm full on supporting him on that and uh you know he about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago he started uh he started beating me <laughs> I couldn't keep up with him and now I can't even be close to him now. I mean he just he blows me out of the water. But I can still if we get any tight technical stuff, I think I still might have something for him. He's actually back here behind me doing something at the workbench. But uh but yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now, team manager for Factory Gas gas, uh, helping my son out, helping everybody on the team and uh it's full time job. – wide open with it but uh you know I'm I'm an, always at the GNCCs and uh you know occasionally I'll make it out to High Point for the uh the ATV motocross national and I've been to Red Bud the ATV national a few years ago and uh Red Lens ATV national so I'm I I'm not as much in tune with the ATV motocross side but the GNCC ATV side I still know a lot of what's going on there and pay attention to it and Sometimes I almost get an itch. I'd like to get out there and do it, but I'll wait a few minutes and then that passes.
0: Well, let's go back in time. How did Barry Hawk
1: get into ATVs? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um (laughs) I think how it went was I had a, a mini bike. My dad bought a mini bike, and then I ended up with the uh, XR75 Honda. Then uh, you probably, old school people probably heard of this one. I actually, my third machine was an RM100, which yeah. I think was a pretty rare machine. I wish I had, of all the machines I had, there's a few of them I would like to have right now. I wish I had my 250R three-wheeler. And I wish I had that RM100. It was two of the machines I wish I had. But after my RM100, somehow my dad ended up with an ATC 110 three-wheeler. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, No suspension, just a high-low range. um, Rode the wheels off that thing. And then ended up, I don't know how long I had it, but ended up with a 250R three-wheeler for not really that long. Um, and then when I was so now saying this, wow, my dad put me on some three wheelers at a really young age because when I turned 16, maybe right before I turned 16, I ended up with a uh Kawasaki Mojave. So saying that I was riding the 110 and the 250R at 14, 15 years old, but anyhow I ended up with the, the uh Kawasaki Mojave. Had some friends that was into racing, um, and I grew up and still currently live in the same area. We are only 20 miles from Morgantown, which is the head office, the main place for GNCC Racer Productions, MX Sports. So the hub of the back east racing, uh, we're not far from that, and a lot of the GNCCs back then, which my first year was 89, a lot of those races was within two hours of where I'm sitting right here right now, which isn't far from Morgantown. So I could hit a bunch of GNCCs. So I talked my mom and dad into taking me some. And I remember the first two races I had done in 89 were close. It was actually Brownsville and tarentum which are both within an hour and a half and then i remember the third round of that year i wanted to do was winter place in west virginia which is like a three and a half hour drive and my dad said i can't take you that far that's too far to go racing you're not doing that well i had two fifth places leading up to that race the third gncc that i wanted to do so anyhow my dad's like nah it's too far my buddies that were at the other previous gnccs with me are like you're doing so good. You're, I mean, you're young. You need, you got to go do this. I'm like, can't, dad's not taking me. And they're like, we'll do whatever we got to do. We will take you there. Well, my buddy had a Jeep, I don't know, like a little Jeep Wrangler thing. He said, I'll put it on the roof. you got to get there. I don't, I'll do whatever I can to get you there. So anyhow, I, I, I didn't, we didn't put it on the roof of his Jeep, but <laughs> somehow we got my ATV there and my mom and dad said it's too far. They weren't going. And then at the last, my buddy, I get there. And if you've ever met Rita, Carrie Joe, you know, Racer Productions, they're pretty, by the book with a lot of stuff. And I, I didn't think much of it. I get there, I'm 16 years old. I'm like, I'm going to sign up. And they're like, well, where's your parents? I'm like, well, ah, they're not here. And they're like, we can't, They, you have a legal guardian? I'm like, yeah, my buddy brought me. I'm pointing to my buddy, Rob. And they're like, he can't sign you up. And I'm like, yeah, but my parents said it's okay. And they were like, yeah, you can't do that. Or Rita, I'm sorry, Rita or Carrie Joe or Tim or somebody said, You can't do that. It's not legal. And I'm like, uh, Okay, let me think about this. Well, anyhow, I didn't know it, but my parents at the last minute decided to come down, didn't tell me. Did, I didn't know. There's no cell phones back then. They show up. Well, I'm like an hour before the race, I'm thinking I can't even race because I can't sign up. My mom and dad pull in, sign me up, and I was in the four stroke B class, but I end up doing it and I end up winning. And from that point on, I was hooked. I had two fifth places in a and a first in three GNCCs, you know. So my third round, I got a first. Even though it was a B class, I'm like, I got to keep doing this. It's great. I love it, um, which I ended up doing, I think, the rest of them that year in 89. And then in 90, um, I missed the first couple because my dad said the down South Carolina, North Carolina, whatever they were, however, wherever it started, I don't even know. Too far, we can't go to it. And we missed them and then started doing, I would have been a four-stroke A, started them, you know, the, the closer rounds. So we started racing them. I don't remember how I'd done. Probably not very good because I was on inferior equipment. Um, but later that year, we ended up buying, there was two brothers that were local to here, Ike and Mike Lewis. They had raced. Found out Ike was selling his 250R. My dad somehow, I don't know if I talked my dad into it or he wanted it and said it was for me. I don't remember the scenario, but we didn't have a lot. When I grew up, we really didn't have a lot of extra money. We didn't, you know, my dad was a mechanic, and a lot of times the, the machines I had up to this point that I'm speaking about, he would weld them together, if frames were broke or whatever, you know, put patches in tires, whatever we had to do to keep riding. But anyhow, we end up going and buying a a 250R off of Ike Lewis. And I raced a couple rounds at the end of 1990 on that 250R. And I don't really remember my results, maybe like a sixth overall or something, which then I was pumped. And then going into 91, all of a sudden my dad buys a 250R and he's going to race as well. So we end up, he and I both I think went there all rounds from ninety-one till who knows when. My last year in ninety-nine, we had done all the GNCCs. I don't think we missed any. Um, up to that point. Now my dad ended up not racing up up to the end. He was there supporting me, but he ended up not racing that entire time. But um that's kind of I guess how we got into A T V racing was I started on mini bikes, then dirt bikes, then three wheelers, then ended up on the four wheelers and just uh enjoyed them had a lot of fun and uh you know it 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 worked out pretty well for me what year did you start pro? um actually it would have been my second year so it'd have been 1990 I would have been 17 years old would have been I moved and back then it actually, there wasn't designation of pro. It, it, in GNCC, there was like 250A, I think, open A, four-stroke A. I forget all the classes, but 250A was essentially the pro class. All the good guys was in 250A. That My second year was 250A, and that's what I raced. And, I, man, I, now you got me curious. I'm going to have to go back and look and see how I'd done in my first pro race on the atv which i i want to say it was like a sixth but regardless in 91 which would have been my first full year of racing the pro class it was 258 but like i said the pro essentially the pro class i ended up getting my first win so i would have been i think to this day it's the record for gncc i was 18 years old and i won an overall i was the youngest person to ever win an overall was 1991 I was 18 years old so and I remember I remember that day I've done so many races since then but I do remember that day very well it was I think it was early July and it was we were pretty much in a drought situation and it was a dust bowl and I remember getting the whole shot and I led from start to finish, 18 years old, never screwed up, never made a mistake the entire day. Um, I do have a picture that I came across recently that is very interesting because some of the stuff I remember, some I don't, but I had stock suspension. Now back then there wasn't as many aftermarket products as there is. there was 10 years in, in 99 or let alone 2021. But I had stock wheels, stock uh, radial front and tires that came on a 250R. So I had stock wheels, stock tires, stock suspension. I think the only modifications I had on it was I had a front bumper, I had different handlebars, different grips, and that probably was about it. Took my airbox lid off the airbox. I'll probably give you another horsepower or two, but other than that, It was essentially a stock quad. Now the other guys didn't have a lot more than I did, but they all, I'm sure everybody I was racing against had, they probably had bead locks. They probably had better tires and they probably had better suspension than I had, but I rode smart, you know, for 18 years old, I rode a smart race, got the whole shot. Didn't make any mistakes. That was a big thing. Nobody could get close to me because of the dust. Just don't make no mistakes. So yeah, it was a, uh, it was the it was a pretty neat day. I remember the last step going by, uh, Dave Holbert, who is Steve Holbert's brother, which I was racing Steve. And I remember going by and Dave walked out on track and he went like this, like, you know, he's pointing like be smart. And I'm like, man, I can't believe this guy. He, he, all these people are cheering for me. Like I know them, but I didn't know they knew me, but looking back on it, it was like, there's this young kid and he's beating all the big dogs And he's not screwing up. I'm sure they probably all were thinking like, well, at some point he's going to screw up or at some point they're going to catch him. And it never happened. I just, it was a, it was a pretty neat day for sure.
0: That's awesome that you remember it that way. That's so cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: We all have those moments in our life that, you know, that race, that day, that moment. And I'm sure if you think long and hard enough, I'm sure you could come back to specific moments and feelings that you were having during that ride. Uh, I mean, I can see the the, the look on your face now. You, you're feeling it right now.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was. I couldn't tell you the last time I told that story in somewhat detail uh, that somebody that would appreciate it. Um, I, and my son's sitting here behind me, I don't know if he's listening or not, but I don't even know that he ever heard that story. But you know, he's 15 years old. And at some point, you know, he probably, he may race these e-bikes and get an overall win and like the adrenaline and everything just up to that point. Like, and I keep preaching to him, like, you don't always have to be the fastest guy out there, but you've got to be smart. Don't make the mistakes. Just be smart. Do, do the right thing and put yourself in position. It's almost like, in GNCC, it's really similar to like the draft in NASCAR. You got to be in the right place at the right time. You don't. Always, I, I had won on the ATV and the bike side. I won on both sides. There was days that I won when I was the fastest. There was the there was times that I won when I wasn't that I wasn't the fastest, but I was the smartest. It was like right place, right time. Just don't make any mistakes. Be when it's time to pounce, be in position. So that was yeah, that, that day was uh right place, right time. And I don't know, maybe I was the fastest that day. I don't know, but I know I didn't screw up.
0: Well, you obviously were the fastest that day because you had the trophy. I good point. Good and you point. probably still have
1: that trophy, don't you? You know what? I think I think my mother has that trophy. I don't think she's letting me get that anytime soon. I think she's had it for a long time. Colin, do you know? If she has my first trophy, see if she my first overall trophy on the quad. Yeah, I bet my mom has that. My son's going to text my mom right now or call her and find out. But (laughs) yeah, that uh, that, that's pretty awesome. That uh, that that's it was it was a pretty neat day.
0: Do you remember um, what's your favorite facility to race at, or what's the favorite place?
1: Oh, man, I've raced so long. Um, I always have a soft spot for John Penton back then. My first overall was at Burrow. or John Penton or Sunday Creek. It's been around – it's been on a GNCC circuit forever. Actually, uh, my first win was there in 91. The first GNCC there was in 90, and we're still going there. So – I've always liked that place. I think the woods, the terrain is very similar to where I live. like the terrain that I grew up riding. Um, I've always liked that place. Um, I have went through all of it. I used to hate Florida, but then I've won there. So I I, I like Florida, a different, you know, the sand, I've liked that. Um, Of course, Ironman, when the dirt is good there, which is typically most of the time it's that's really, that's good dirt. That's a really fun place. But And you would think in Indiana farmland, you would think that there wouldn't be much elevation change or much different there. You know, it would all be flat, but it's not, there's a lot of Hills. You have Ironman Hills. So I always like racing there. Um, But I think my all time favorite and probably because it's close to home is high point. If I could pick anywhere to race, anytime, it would be high point. I think because I have, I'm pretty sure I could say this with certainty, is I have more miles, more laps, more time at that place than anybody around, even the Holberts who live there. I know every inch of that place, every rock, every route, everything. I've raced ATVs, dirt bikes. I've raced outdoor motocross nationals there. I've raced ATV motocross nationals there. I know every inch of place. I've worked for GNCC there. Now I'm the team manager there and we're st- still there. Three weekends ago, I think there was a local race there and I went and raced on my, my Gas Gas 350. I went there and raced just because it's close to home and I know it. So that that's my all-time favorite is high Point. Let me ask you a question
0: not related to ATVs. What do you think of that 350?
1: I love it. For me, I've told people... I'm not a very big person. I'm like 5'7, 160. Um, but for me, it's kind of weird saying this, but I'm actually, I, I would say I'm a lazy rider on a dirt bike. And by that, I mean, you know, I want to use the bike to get over rocks or roots or whatever's in front of me. And I can do that on a 350. It doesn't feel as heavy as a 450. And it's even though it's lighter, it's not a lot lighter, but it feels a lot lighter than a 450. And a 250, I feel like if I come around a corner and there's a root or whatever's in front of me, and I want to get the front end light to get over it, on a 250, I feel like I have to manhandle it, put more muscle in it to get over an obstacle in front of me. The 350, I can use the power and slip the clutch a little bit and get the front end light to get over it. That's why, for me, like I, I love the 350. I wish I've ridden KTM 350s. I had one. I had Husky 450s. This Gas Gas, or I'm sorry, KTM 350s, uh, Husky 350s, and this Gas Gas 350. And for me, it's it's the best bike. I wish my bike right now. I wish I could have raced that back when I was racing because it is it, it's it's like the perfect bike for me. You know, I get on, if you're racing motocross against a bunch of other 450s, you're probably not going to get a good start on a 350 because you're giving up some horsepower. So that's motocross. But in off-road, the 350 back east is really like, that is a really, really good machine. Unless you're a really big individual, you know, I would say one and bigger you Know maybe six foot. If you're somewhat on the heavy side, then you want the power of the four fifty. You need a four fifty. I get it. For me, for probably 75% of the people back east of 350 is the way to go, my opinion.
0: What do you think? Do you know who Brandy Richards is? Brandy
1: Richards, yes.
0: What do you think about what she's doing on the West Coast? Do you even know?
1: I don't know exactly. I do know that. She has done very good at six days, but I don't know what she's doing out there currently.
0: She won the men's pro-am.
1: Really? 50. Wow. Good for
0: her. She podiumed with a broken hand in a third, missed the race because of the break, went to the next round, won it, and then backed it up and got second. Wow. In four rounds, she's been on the podium three times. Um, and she's impressive, lo- and she loves that bike.
1: I love it too. I would, if you told me, Here's a bunch of money, go buy a bike and build it to a spec to something I think is good and give it to you, hands down, it'd be 350. Nice, and also, I will say this that most people, the majority of people, probably 98% of the people out there, cannot use the power of a 450. It, there's too much power for them, so that's why the three fifty like you can lug it like a four fifty or you can rev it out like a two fifty so and it sounds like that's what Brandy's doing. she's getting everything out of it that is that it offers
0: i I had a nice conversation with her if you want go to episode fifty nine and listen to it okay um because I was so intrigued by a her getting on the podium. And then right after we tape her episode, she goes out and wins the thing. So we have to do a little add on at the end, um, you know, talking about the win. Uh, I was very impressed with her. She's uh, she's a phenomenal young lady and she's, she's got her sets on the the sites on the pro men's class. And I believe that I think she's going to make it. I think she's going to do it. She's putting in the work.
1: Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that would be, that would be very impressive for her to do that. Um, I think she absolutely could do it. Um, and I would, for her, for the first female to actually do that in the men's pro class, I mean, I don't think yeah, she's that would be, be win, but I think, right. But yeah, but still to go out there and compete and be competitive. That's, that's, that's impressive. That's really impressive.
0: It is. She's, I, I haven't got to watch her ride in person yet. I can't wait till I get to go to a works race, a uh, motorcycle round and watch because I'm a huge fan and I'm not even getting to watch. I get to see. Pull. Right. Right. You know, and I, I mean, you've been around a long time. One of the biggest things about us, I think the people that have been around is we're such fans of the industry, motorcycle ATV. I mean, granted, I'm ATV first, but uh, I still love to watch the faster, the good motorcycle guys. You know, I mean, it's we all broke our teeth and and or cut our teeth on on two wheelers,
1: you know. Right, right. Yep, um, yep, I for sure. To, when I was four. Oh, so. right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I always. I quite often, and I still. I hang out and talk to a lot of the ATV guys on the GNCC side, but obviously I'm around all the dirt bike guys more. Um, but I, we a few times a year we often get in a heated. Not argument, a friendly disagreement of I always tell the bike guys that if you had to race and there's really no fair way to do it, but if you had to put just the top ten or top six bike guys against the top six a t v guys, and we could do lap times from the a t v guys and lap time for the bike guys, and then they switch, and you take I don't know your your two or three fastest laps from each guy. Obviously, the bike guys are going to be slower on the ATV, and the ATV guys are going to be slower on the bike when they switch over. But overall, the ATV guys are going to be faster on the bike than the bike guys would be on the ATV. Now, yeah. typically, the ATV is going to be slower anyhow because you got a back east going through the trees. But if you had to do an average, a time average, I still would guarantee, without a doubt, the bike or the ATV group. Would be faster than the bike crew. And the bike guys get mad when I say that. But, and they're like, no, you don't think we're talented or they're more talented than us? I said, no, I, that is not why I'm saying that. I'm saying that because typically the bike guy, or I'm sorry, the ATV guys have dirt bikes and they ride dirt bikes. Maybe not a lot. Maybe some do a lot. But typically they will get on a dirt bike and they have a lot more experience on a dirt bike than. Uh, bike guys have on an ATV. I have been around a couple of bike guys that are very super talented. Thad Duvall, Ryan Sipes, super talented guys, and they were very good. They were very impressive on an ATV. On the other side of that, Craig DeLong and Randy Hawkins, two very talented guys on dirt bikes, were absolutely hideous on an atv they were so bad and i would tell this them i'm not picking on them i'll tell them this to their face like i honestly thought a few years ago craig jumped on an atv and there was just a small little bank and and what happened when i did that i told my atv guys get on the bike and the bike guys get on the atv and the the atv guys are just on the dirt bikes they're ripping around and the bike guys are on atvs and craig come to this little bank little drop off and I see him stop, and I pop. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I don't want to go off there. I'm going to roll over. I'm like, no, you're good. And he's like, no, I'm going to roll over. I thought he was joking. He was serious, but he ended up like, he was like, well, Brayson Neal was coming down and he would like jump off of it and like turn in the air and land and go up the road. And I'm like, yeah, Craig, like it's, it's fine. Like you're not going to roll over, but he just wasn't comfortable with it. That's why I say that the ATV guys are better than the bike guys. If you had to race them and do times back and forth, hands down, ATV guys would kick the bike guy's butt well, because they have more
0: time on it. L- l- let's get into that conversation a little bit. You went from ATVs to motorcycles. Obviously, you had to do some cross training on the two wheelers while you were racing ATVs. And you had success on the ATV. You obviously rode some woods. You probably did some racing that wasn't talked about a whole lot when you were racing ATVs, but you were still doing it. And then you transitioned into the bikes and had success. One of the things that most people don't realize: it's some of your m- most famous ATV racers were bike guys. Mm-hmm. Gary Denton, yep, whole career racing motorcycles. Bo Barron on the West yep. Coast has won nine Works championships. He came from the motorcycle side first. Right now, one of the guys that's trying to be a top contender in Works is a Works motorcycle pro on an and an ATV pro, so he's riding both classes. Dustin Nelson. Four-stroke champion, uh, raced for years and years on the bike side, came and won multiple motocross championships in the ATV world on the West Coast. Um, And there's more. There's other guys. Doug Eichner could ride a two-wheeler, I think, as good as he could a four-wheeler, but he didn't enjoy it as much.
1: Right, right. And for me, I was doing the ATV thing, and I wanted to ride a dirt bike more, which that's what I – the first couple of machines I had were bikes. So I wanted to get on a dirt bike more to kind of cross train to help me on the ATV because at that time, so whenever, let me think here, this would have been 91, 92 ish. Bob Sloan and Steve Holbert were racing. They were the top dogs on the ATVs. They would race on Sunday at the GNCC on the dirt bikes. And I don't remember if they were in the same class or not, but anyhow, I remember them getting some top 20 overalls and I'm like, man, I was a number three or number four ATV guy and number one and number two are going out there and racing on Sunday. I'm like, I would go watch the races if they were close and see these guys that I just raced on Saturday, they're doing on Sunday. I'm like, man, I can't believe we're not sore, but they're out there doing it. So I want to do it. Luckily I got hooked up with Bromley Suzuki out in philadelphia and so in 1993 they said we will take a dirt bike all year for you to race in the four stroke b class and i said okay great you know they said sloan's doing it and holbert's doing it and we'll we'll, you just show up be there on sunday and you can race it i'm like all right well sounds great but i i don't have any i don't have a bike i don't i just have an atv and they're like yeah, we'll figure that out down the road. And I went to the first couple rounds or raced the first two, three, four rounds in 1993, raced on Saturday on ATV, raced the bike on Sunday, but didn't have any bike experience or didn't practice or do anything leading going into a GNCC. I, didn't, I probably didn't have two hours on a bike. since I was 12 years old and now I'm what I'm 18, 19 years old. So there was a big gap of me going and just deciding to race. And I'm like, you know, I looking back on it, I was thinking, you know, what was I thinking? I'm thinking I didn't have much experience. Well, I should have been more prepared, but on the other hand, I didn't have enough money to go buy a new dirt bike and just go practice. Like any money I had was going towards the ATV stuff. Anyhow, I don't remember my results that first year in 93, the first couple of rounds, but I remember by the middle of the year, I was leading some races in four stroke B. And I think, I honestly don't remember if I won the class that year or finished second or third. I want to say I finished third in four stroke B in my first year, but I started out like not very good results and then I improved really quick. So then I got a bike later that year, a dirt bike. And so in 94, I moved to four stroke A along with the other guys that I was battling with in four stroke B. And I ended up winning four stroke A that year. And I just, those guys were all the guys I was racing against. They were all, you know, steadily getting faster, but it was like I was really improving more and quite a bit quicker than they were. At the time I was I didn't put that much thought into it. Now looking back on it, I can see all this as it was happening. I ended up winning four stroke A that year, and I think I finished 23rd overall that year on the bike on an, a DR three fifty. And if anybody knows a DR three fifty, it's nothing like the three fifty I have now. It's a beginner bike. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, it was like that's all I had. That's all Bromley, you know, I'm grateful that they helped me, but they were like, hey, we'll have a DR 350 for you to go race. Okay, great. So I raced that in 94 and 95 and 96, 93, four, and five, and six. So I raced four stroke eight for three straight years. And I was around twenty-three, I think nineteen, maybe seventeen overall one year on that DR. I was doing pretty good. You know, I would get some top twenty overalls. Um but I was doing all that on the bike just to help me on the ATV to cross train. So I get more seat time. I could see the tracks. I would know the tracks better. I would know everything, you know, be in better shape because I didn't want to ride the ATV that much. I wanted to ride the dirt bike more than the ATV for a couple of reasons. One, because the dirt bike was still kind of new to me and I wanted to learn it. And I was, wasn't at the top. But this time, 94, 95, 96. I was winning ATV races, and I didn't need to go out there and just hammer out laps on ATV. I wanted to go out and hammer out laps on a dirt bike because I knew it could make me faster on a dirt bike. Because I wanted to get faster and get top ten overalls on the bike, but I knew that it was going to help me on the ATV as well. Like it was just doing some cross training and. I was started 97-ish. I started not having as much fun racing the ATV, but I was still having fun racing the dirt bike. So in 97, I got hurt at the first round of the year. I got, which, let me back up one second. 97, I switched to an RM, and I was going to race 250A, which was essentially the XC2 class. It was the second fastest class on a dirt bike. So I was still pro on the ATV. Um, first round of the year, we would have, it was Ocala, Florida. We had practice on Friday. I forget the scenario. Yeah. Back then it was practice Saturday on ATV race Sunday. And then you could practice Monday on the bike and race Tuesday. That was during bike week when they used to have the race, the bike race on Tuesday. Anyhow, I'm practicing on the ATV. I'm like the new, you know, I'm racing two hundred fifty a on the bike. I've won three or four straight championships on ATV. Anyhow, he's practicing. And I think now it might be hard rock track in Florida. Anyhow, there was a huge tabletop and it was really windy that day. And then when I went off of it, the wind actually pushed me and got me sideways. And I landed about one quad length short from clearing it. The downside. When I landed, the quad immediately bounced up and went this way. And now I'm looking down this big giant hill and I'm not on the quad. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be bad. Anyhow, I end up flopping down the hill. The quads mangled. I'm mangled. I limp it back to the pits. I get there. And my mechanic, ATV mechanic, Tony Kellner, luckily, he had enough parts, pieces, and the quads from the year before. Because we I, had, I think there was a blown-out tire. There was no tire balls, Danny. I had a blown-out tire, bent axle, bent steering stem, handlebars. The pipe was smashed. Like, it was a pretty bad wreck on the quad and on myself. So anyhow, Tony's like, don't worry about the quad. I'll get it fixed up as long as you want to race tomorrow. I'm like, well, I'm racing tomorrow. I mean, my wrist hurts, my foot hurts, my knees. It was, I literally hit the ground and flopped. And then I was sliding down. It was really hard. It wasn't sand. It was like hard packed clay (laughs) sliding down the hill. I had two big, I still have scars on the top of my knees from the two big, like just rub the skin off my knees. I'm pretty sure I broke a bone on the top of my foot. I ripped both pants. Everything was new because this was the day before the race. Like new boots, new quad, new helmet, new gear. Boots were ruined. Pants are ruined. Shirts ruined. Chest protectors ruined. Helmets scratched up. Goggles broke. Gloves ripped. It was bad. Anyhow, the next day I told Tony, I said, I'm racing. And I raced and I'm winning. But my wrist hurts so bad during the race. Like, I mean, like almost in tears. End up racing, winning. Um, I get done, and then it was a day or two later. Whatever the bike race was, I got on the bike, and my wrist hurt so bad. I went like a mile, pulled over. Yeah, I said, I, "I can't move my wrist. It hurts. It's swollen." So then we're no. Don't go to the doctor. Just put ice on it. And then that weekend we went to Georgia, which would have been that weekend. It was Georgia Motor Speedway. It was actually I think we raced there once or twice, but. I was nervous because I'm thinking, man, my wrist hurts, hurts pretty bad. Well, I'd done, I think, one, a lap and a half, and my wrist hurts so bad. I just could not hang on. <clears throat> this is during the ATV race. I don't do the bike race the next day. Drive home. I remember I went to the doctor, got an x-ray, and he was like, yeah, it's broke. And I'm like, no, it can't be. And he's like, yeah, it is. I'm like, it can't be broke. It's just swollen. He goes, you see that x-ray right there? You see that little dark spot going through that bone right there? Like, that's broke. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I'm like, well, what are we going to do now? And he's like, well, you got three options, but you need to see an ortho specialist. So anyhow, the next day I went and saw the guy and he's like, you got three options. One, let it heal. It's on its own because it was the navicular scaphoid, which is the bad one when you break it, it takes like 12 weeks to heal. If it heals, maybe you're lucky. Maybe not. You let it heal on its own. Um, You could do some kind of external thing or I can put a screw in it. He said, I can operate in two days put A screw in it when the cut heals, you can go do what you want. I said, Sign me up, that's what we're doing. So I went in a couple of days later, got surgery, put the screw in it. I still have it in to this day. Um, I think it was about two weeks, maybe 16 days, whatever it was, after surgery. I remember going to Loretta Lynn's and racing, the cut was healed, and I got sixth overall on the ATV. Then the next round. I maybe got like third or something, but I remember in those races, like if I would hit like a G out or something that wasn't expected and that wrist would get jammed, it felt like it was breaking all over again, tears in my eyes, but I'm like, I just got to keep going. But so that was 97. So I missed a bunch of races that year. I only missed, actually I didn't miss any ATV races. That's right. I missed a bunch of bike races because it was so sore the next day, but I didn't miss any ATV rounds, but I didn't score points at a few because I was hurt. But I ended up winning the championship that year, 97 on the ATV, but on the bike, that was the year I was moving to 50A, and I don't remember my first race back. I don't remember any results until the end of the year. The last three rounds at the end of that year, 97 on the bike i got sixth overall in the 258 class so at that point i'm like you know that would be like same as today like if a guy gets sixth overall from the xc2 class it's pretty good it's pretty impressive and at the last round of the year i remember bromley coming to me and saying hey this has been a good run but we're not you know some of the couple of people that went to the races they got married they were having kids we're not racing in 98 we're we're done it's nothing against me. It was just, they wanted to come to the races and support the sport and, you know, sales were great, blah, 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 but we're, we're done. I said, I get it. I understand. So I said at that point, you know, I, whenever my options, I was still going to race the ATV in 98, but the dirt bike thing was like, I'm done. Like I can't afford to go buy a dirt bike, go race. I, I, couldn't maintain it myself. I couldn't race an ATV, be full-time ATV racer and do the same thing on the bike and have to work on it, pay for it myself. I wanted to do it, but I couldn't financially do it. So I said, well, I'm going to have to quit racing the bike. I'm, I'm done. Like, I can't do it. At that time, that's when Yamaha came in with the YZ400. And it was almost right place, right time for me is they wanted someone else to race that 400, which looking back on it was it kind of was helped get the sport to where it was at, but that bike was not very good. Even though it was really neat, it wasn't the best machine, but at that point I didn't care. I could be, I was factory Yamaha. And I I remember I got two dirt bikes, a little bit of parts, a little bit of expense money. And I'm like this, I'm, I'm big time now. I'm factory Yamaha. I was racing pro on Sunday, pro on Saturday on ATV and, End up winning '98. I won on the ATV on the bike. My first year pro. I want to say I got twelfth overall that year. I don't remember my best results, which I was all over the map. I one race I'd probably get like seventh overall, and the next race I'd probably be seventeenth overall. But anyhow, I was you know back and forth with stuff, result wise. In '98, '99, same exact scenario, same bike. Um, same ATV, same everything in 99. But I kept doing so much better on the bike that I started abandoning stuff on the ATV. I didn't want to put as much effort in the ATV stuff. And I wasn't having any fun with it. And I tell this story all the time. In 99, my last year of ATVs, there was 13 GNCCs. I rode my ATV 15 times that year. I rode it two times before the first round for probably... 10 minutes, both times before the first GNCC. And it was literally like ride it through the field, to fill the suspension. Yeah, it's good. Or turn, make it a little stiffer, softer, whatever it was. And it was good. Go race the first round. And, and I never rode it all year between races. It was, I would always want the bike, 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 bike. I just wanted to do the bike so much more than the ATV. I didn't, totally abandoned the ATV because I still won a championship that year. And it was my last year it was 99. Um, but it was a job to me to go get on the ATV and go race because even though I loved it and I liked winning and won a championship, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to, re- everything was revolving around the dirt bike doing the ATV thing. And, and I'm sure anybody that's ever had a job, you're at a job that you're not really crazy about, but you you want to be over there doing this, like something else that you're passionate about. That was the bike thing. So it's kind of weird to say that and for people to say like, well, you was winning races and championships. How can you not like it? But it honestly was like, it was a job to me and I didn't enjoy it. But it was only because of the bike thing. If the bike thing never came along, I probably would, who knows how much longer I would have raced ATV if I would have I don't know. I have seven championships. If I'd have had eight, nine, 10, I mean, who knows? I may not have got any more, but I was still really dominant when I retired on the ATV side to go chase the bike thing. So that was 99. I rode an ATV 15 times, won a championship, got to the end of the season. I went to Yamaha and I said, Hey, I want to not race the ATV anymore. I want to focus everything on a dirt bike. And they said, well, what's it take? And I said, well, it's going to take some more money because I make money on ATV, but I want to focus everything on the bike. So anyhow, we came to terms and it was enough to where it was covering what I was going to lose on the ATV just for me to do the dirt bike. So Yamaha, you know, we went back and forth and finally we agreed on some numbers. And I told every all my sponsors, friends, you know, everybody on the ATV side, I said, hey, I'm chasing this dirt bike thing. I want to go do this. And, uh, it's, you know, something I want to do. I don't want to do the ATV thing. Like I'm not a it. I'm going to be there on Saturday. I am going to cheer for the guys. You know, I, most of them I was friends with a couple of them were kind of enemy wise, you know, looking at them. They wanted the same piece of the pie. I, I was at up to that point, but you know, I was, I want to go after the bike thing. And luckily, Yamaha gave me the opportunity to do that. And I'd done that in 2000. I remember my results, it was really similar to the ATV thing when I moved to pro, it was like my results was like, I would do really good, and then I would do really bad, and then I would do really good and really bad, really good, really bad. But anyhow, my second year of racing dirt bikes, professionally, although 99 was my second year professionally, once I 100% put all effort towards dirt bikes, my second year 100% effort, I got my first overall on my dirt bike, which was really similar. The path of how I did it on the bike and ATV was really similar. How like my first year I was kind of getting on the map. The second year was up, down, up, down. And then I, so in my second year on the bike, but it was my third year on ATV, I got a win. But the 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 similarities are very interesting how the path led me to where I got my overalls on the A T V and the bike because they were so similar. And uh it was Actually, at High Point was where I got my first overall on the bike. So, you know, it was one of the things where (laughs) I think I'd won 49 ATV overalls. I won seven championships, 49 ATV races. And up to the point to where I got my first bike win, I don't know how many times I had raced the, the pro bike class up to that point. But I remember as the race was going on, And it was like the last lap and I'm getting a pit board, like focus, you know, whatever. It was 52 second lead or whatever. And I crossed the finish line. I was like, I was so happy. But on the other hand, I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Why did it take me three or four years of racing? What uh, technically it would have been four years in the pro class for my second full year. Why did it take me this long to figure this out on the bike? When I had it figured out on the ATV, it was like all the years, all the races up to my first win on the dirt bike. It was like I was always worried about the other guys on the track and oh, there's a mud hole or oh, there's a hill climb or I'm in third and where's the, the other guys or Shane Watts or Rodney Smith or Freddie Andrews, the guys that were winning then. I'm thinking they're behind me. Oh, they're going to be catching me. But the race I won, I got a very good start. I got in the lead early and I raced a track and I never looked back one time to see where anybody was at. I just totally, the whole race, I was totally focused with what was in front of me. Never cared about anything. That's why I'm like, when the race over, I'm like, I'm an idiot. Why did it, I know how to do this on the ATV. Why did it take me a couple of years to figure it out on the bike? I finally did it. I got quite a few more overall wins, but it was, uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the two. Um, but it was, you know, it's been interesting up to that point and to where I'm at now, it's been, uh, you know, I've been to a lot, lot, a lot of GNCCs and seen a lot of people when I've seen a lot of people in my shoes on the ATV side, Walker Fowler, where he's at Chris Borich, where he was at, um, Bill Balance like, I've been in all their shoes, Caleb Russell on the bike side. I've been in his shoes. I I've been In everybody's shoes, pretty much where they're at, I've been there. I've been the B rider, the A rider, the pro rider on the way up, the pro rider on the top and the pro rider declining going on the way back down. So I've seen, I've seen it all. I've been in their shoes. I've done it all at some point, some way, shape or form.
0: That's, that's an awesome story. Um, yeah, uh, I'm a little hurt that the ATV had to take second seat at some point, but yeah, uh, you, you know, I mean, it's just like the guy that goes from the motorcycle to the ATV. Uh, you know, you're trying to learn a new a new task, and it's exciting and exhilarating, and and you you have to at some point commit, or you're never going to reach your goals. How many titles well, did you win on the motorcycle?
1: I only won one title on a motorcycle. I finished. Six Second three times, and I finished third one time. So I have what seven ATV championships, one bike championship, three second places, and one third place. That's still on the bike. Very,
0: that's that's yeah. still very very impressive.
1: Yeah, thank you. It was. Are you the only it, guy to win both? Yes, the only guy to ever win an atd overall and a bike overall, and an an individual overall, let alone the championship. There's nobody that's ever been close to a championship. Um, and I don't think really the closest overall was if you'd leave me out of it. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Walker Fowler rides a dirt bike really, really well. And whenever he came out of the youth ranks, he had a deal with Yamaha and he was actually part of my Ampro Yamaha team. So this must've been 2010 ish. Yeah, it had to be. He actually raced a dirt bike and was a teammate of mine. I think a four-stroke A is, I think, his class. And I think he got maybe 14th overall at one of the rounds. Um, I don't remember which round, but it had to be 2010. But that was pretty impressive for Walker to do that. Um, And I think Bob Sloan, if I back up here is Bob Sloan and Steve Holbert, they were both around that 12, 13, 14, 15 overall range. Um, I don't think any of the other current crop of ATV guys are anywhere close to a top 20 overall. I know Landon Wolf rides a bike very well. Um, Bryson Neal rode a bike a little bit, um, Boric rode a bike a little bit, but I think by far, I may be skipping someone, but I think by far Walker Fowler Fowler's the, the fastest atv guy on a dirt bike which is likewise comes back to the story i was telling earlier to put a dirt bike guy on an atv to finish in the top 20 overall like if if walker dedicated himself and probably put a month into it i believe he could go out and finish in the top 20 overall one month from now if he knew that was his job that's what he had to do i believe he could do it if you gave every dirt bike guy an ATV and said, can you get in a top 20 overall? I believe if you gave it to 10 of them, all 10 of them would say, yes, they could do it. But I would bet a lot of money that there wouldn't be any of those 10 guys finishing the top 20 overall of a bike race. That's Although they think they would. And uh-huh. I'm not knocking them for not having talent. They're obviously very talented. It's just, it comes back to seat time. Walker has a bunch of seat time on a dirt bike. The only guy even close to having a little bit of seat time on ATV is Thad Duvall, simply because of his dad was Chad Devall, So he was around him a lot more growing up, but he finished in the top 20 overall on a quad. He probably would be the only guy that would be close. And he, I don't think he would do it, but he may surprise me. Who knows?
0: How's he doing? How does Thad do on the dirt bikes?
1: Um, he's been, hurt. he got hurt this year. Uh, at the last race, he actually was his first race back. He didn't he had a bunch of issues, mechanical issues with the bike. Um, Like the first round talent. Do you remember what he did at the first round? That at all. I don't even remember what he did at the first round. Wow. Uh, probably like second, third, fourth overall. I mean, super, super fast, super talented on a dirt bike. Like I've told a story many times. Like, Thad Duvall is in the top three most talented dirt bike guys I've ever seen in my life. I've ridden with guys. I mean, I've done six days in Brazil. My son's telling me Thad got second at the first round this year. Um, I've raced six days. I've raced outdoor motocross. I've, been, I've ridden a lot of places with a lot of guys, and Thad is in the top two most talented guys on a dirt bike that I've ever seen in my life just the natural ability and being in the right place on the bike at the right time is it's just second nature to him. That's pretty awesome. It's impressive to
0: say means that you raced in the nineties with some pretty heavy hitters. I know that you won a lot of races and a lot of championships, but it didn't come without a cost because every guy there in the GNCCs, there was probably 10 of you that could have won at any given moment.
1: Yeah, there was quite a few of us, but typically, you know, most of, just like anything, the cream rises to the top, I guess. Um, you know, then in the early nineties, um, it was, well, actually early nineties, it would have been Chuck DeLulo, Bob Sloan, Norm Bish, Steve Holbert. Those were top guys, Mike Holbert. And then you get into the mid nineties, you know, Bob was, was I think '90. <laughs> Four was his last year, um but then Steve Holbert was still there, and then Kim Coonley came in, and Chad Duvall was there, and Mike Kreitch, and You know, there was a lot of guys. My mechanic, my bike mechanic, Doug Whitmer, was a top ATV racer. He was top ten. um You know, his name was in there. Jimmy Tretanic. There was a lot of guys that was fast. A lot of races, but they could never put it together like race after race after race where myself, um, you know, if you pick a specific year, probably 96, I think it was myself, probably Chad Duvall, Kim Coonley, were probably top three, the majority of the time. Um, But there's other guys who've been there. I told the story the other day of my mechanic, Doug Whitmer, Loretta's one year. I think I was third and it was at the end of the first lap and Doug went by me like I was sitting still and I'm like, Holy crap, he flying. And he passed me and the guy that was in second and within a mile was out of sight. And I'm like, holy crap, like I can't go that pace for another hour and 30 minutes. I won't have enough energy. I don't know that Doug's gonna have enough energy, but hey, he's he's going for it. Well, like two miles later, I remember it was you could down this big long fast downhill, it goes back up the other side and then hooks a 90 right at the top, but it was like a blind turn. And when I get to the top, like you, if you wasn't paying attention, you would launch off it. There was like a big runoff, but typically guys would hit the brakes and then have to turn and kind of get back on the track. Well, if you remembered it, you just barely going off the jump, turn right. Well, I look down the woods, like as I'm landing and hit, making a turn, Doug's down in the woods, like 50, 60 feet down there, like the quads up on its side. He's standing there looking at it, fender broke off, A arm broke. And I'm like, well, I guess. A- caught up to Doug. He couldn't go to that pace the whole time. But you know, it comes back to what you said. There's many fast guys that were capable of going fast and winning races a lot of times. But, you know, I remember following guys, I tell my son this all the time. And it was it wasn't easy for me. But I would learn the guys and where their advantages and disadvantages were, where their their quad may be better than mine, and I would learn their lines and know what they do. I would follow them. And I think it was two years ago, I went back in the archives and looked at some of the results. And a lot of my ATV wins, there's a very small time difference of my wins, like over them compared to, I don't know, Bill Balance or Walker Fowler a couple of years ago. They would win by big margins. I didn't do that. I was, it comes back to me being, it's weird to say, but a lazy rider, but I did what I had to do. I would follow the guys, use the least amount of effort, energy possible, following the guys, knowing where their their lines are, what's going to happen. Now, Mile, two miles from the end, I would pass them, stay in front of them, don't mess up and get the win. And it was like, it sounds easy. It sounds oh, probably almost sounds cocky of me to say that, but that's just how I raced. And a lot of my margins of victory were very small because I would just wait for the last second to pass the guys. I'm sure there was a few times where it didn't work out for me. I don't specifically remember any, but the majority of the time I knew exactly what I had to do and where I had to do it. And I got the job done. It was a whole different world on the bike. I couldn't do that on the, on the bike side, but I could do it on the ATV side. I was just that much more above everyone else. Like I knew Every I knew where everybody was going, what everything on the track, all the other pro riders, where they was going and what was happening before they even did it. The bike side, I only knew what I was doing and I could only <laughs> control myself. So I had to work way harder on the bike side. That's probably why I still ride dirt bikes more, is because it's still it's so much more of a challenge to me than the ATV side. And I just I, I was just naturally gifted and talented. On the ATV stuff. Like it just, it's second nature. Like I could get, I believe if I got on an ATV right now, I could finish top 20 at a GNCC overall. Like I truly believe that. Like in last year, wait, that wasn't last year, it was a year before, wasn't it, Talon? Yeah. So it would have been 2019 at Ironman. I was going to race it in, I think, the vet class. I had the ATV sitting there ready to go. I wasn't telling anybody I was doing it. I had, it was one of Bryson meals when he was on our team, it was a 450 Yamaha. It was set up for Bryson. Like he had raced it a couple of years before that. I mean, you know, top shelf, everything, suspension, tire balls, like it was ready to go, had it dialed in ready to go. But that day in 2019 on Saturday, it was cold, nasty fall, rainy day in, out in Indiana. and. It was 42 degrees, 40 degrees, and it just rained and rained and rained and rained. And everybody, like, in my inner circle that knew, like, you racing? Because I had the ATV under the or truck, everything, like, ready to go. And I keep like, racing, Are you racing. I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know. Last minute, I said, I'm not doing it. Like, it's not going to be fun for me. Like, I want to go do it and have fun. But it's going to be so cold and so crappy. I'm not going to have fun. And it's going to tear the quad up. And I just want to go have fun. Like if I'm not having fun, I'm just going to pull off and I know that's going to happen within the first two miles. It's going to be cold and crappy. It's not gonna be fun. So just why even go do it? Looking back on it, I wish now that I would have done it because that was a kind of a race. The pace was slower and you had to be really smart and pick good lines because a lot of lines were underwater. I think I would have even benefited even more from it, but that was a couple of years ago. Coulda, shoulda, woulda, and I ended up selling the quad. I don't, I don't even, I own a utility quad now. I don't even own a sport quad now, but it was, I still believe I could get on it and finish top 20 overall, just because I just, I feel like I'm still in tune with it. And I, it's, I'm naturally good at riding the ATV.
0: So let me ask you this. If you go back and you look at your success and you look at Balance's success and borage, And Fowler, what is it with the GNCC guys that win titles being so dominant for so long?
1: I've been asked that question several times by people, and I don't have an answer. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I'd won, what, seven straight, and then Bill won nine or ten straight, and then Chris, what, seven, and Walker's now at five, six, seven. And it's like, they're so dominant. I was dominant. Bill was Chris Walker. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. If I knew the secret formula or I knew what it was, I probably wouldn't be in Pennsylvania right now talking to you. I'd probably be on the beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> talking to you. If I knew the secret formula, I don't know. I wish I had a good guess. And I honestly don't know why. They're so dominant. Now, on the bike side, there hasn't been anyone dominant recently until Caleb Russell. There's always been like I won one championship, Paul Wibley won two, Strang, Josh Strang won one or two. Staminin and Knight won two. Um, and then Caleb came along and I think won seven. But you know, I don't know what if there's Summers. uh Summers won, I think, four. And I think Plessinger won three, but I don't know that Summers won four straight. I almost think Summers won one or two and then Plessinger won one or two. And then Summers again, like those two were kind of flip-flopping, I think. But Caleb was the only recent memory. He's the only dominant guy on the bike side, which is similar to the ATV side. I don't know why. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer as to why. The ATV thing has been like that for so long.
0: Well, we missed. I honestly, Delulu, raced four years, won three titles in a second.
1: Correct, but he didn't win three consecutive.
0: No, he won two. Then Sloan beat him by two points, and then and and uh, Chuck told me a little story i tried was trying to get him on the show and, and he told me the story. I was like, why, why did you tell me this? I want it. I want you to, I want to tape this because I, I want everybody to hear it. Um, I forget the exact wording he used, but, but he told me that it would came down to the last race, the last second. And, and Bob just pulled it off. Somebody got in between them and, you know, Bob beating by two points, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was yep. a, and it, what's funny is I talked to Chuck quite a bit. i talked to him probably about a week ago. I well, still you, talk to him.
0: You need to kick him in the rear and tell him to get on, get in contact with me because I've talked to him, you know, 20, 30 times. But we just cannot seem to get the, we just can't seem to connect.
1: Yeah, I will. I'll definitely tell him he, he, uh, he actually has a race team now, a dirt bike team that does hard enduros. So, probably yep. it'd be probably pretty good for him to talk on a Sunday evening driving back from an event it would probably work for him, but the I'll problem. get, I'll get on him.
0: I'll tell him. I, I've done a couple. I did Chad Weenan's way he was driving. Unless you have a hot spot or something like that, it's really difficult because the oh, distortion yeah. in the mode. Um, I mean, it works, but it's, but it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I really, yeah. I really love talking to 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 the guys from the era when I was young. And because you and I met at Blackwater.
1: Yeah, that's right. I was ninety super green. I don't even remember the year. One, ninety-two. I think it, it, was, 90 like it was ninety-one or 92. or
0: ninety-two. A million years ago. Yeah, a long time ago. We were both kids. I mean, I was in my early twenties. Yeah. You know, and you were you were super yeah. young too. And now I got gray hair. And
1: And I don't have any.
0: (laughs) Well, hey, (laughs) there's a trade-off, you know. Everybody holds the door open for me or oh, sorry, sir. And I'm like, you know, just because I got gray hair doesn't mean I'm done.
1: You know? (laughs) Right. Right. Yep. I get it. I get Uh, it for sure. So so has your has your boy got to ride the quad at all? (laughs) No, I don't. think i mean he may have ridden my quad in the yard maybe i know he's ridden my utility quad but the sport quad i don't think he's really ridden it too much but what's interesting is he really shows no he doesn't show any interest he never showed any on the atv and very very little on the bike side as a matter of fact i don't know if you that bike sitting right there is a Husky, because we were a Husky team for five years before we switched to gas, gas. But that is my son's 125. He has not started it, has not ridden it, has not done anything with it this year. He rode it one time last year. Like zero interest in riding a dirt bike or ATV. He would rather get on. I'm looking right now. We got one, two, three, four bicycles in here the electric, the e bikes. We got four of them in here, and that's what he wants to ride. I'm good with it. Like he wants to ride these things and I can still get on them and go ride and, you know, I'm not as fast as him, but you know, that's what he wants to do. That's what he's passionate about. So I'm, I'm good with it. You know, and yeah. he doesn't, and showing so interest just on that dirt bike or ATV. That is what it is. And he
0: races and he races those.
1: Yeah. They've been racing uh, the e-bikes now. This is the third year the GNCC's race them. Um, and he has done every e-bike round that they've had so he won the youth class two years ago last year he had a few battery issues he finished third and then this year he's had a lot of issues he ended up breaking a motor there's only been two e-bike rounds he broke a motor at the first round and at the last round he broke a derailleur a guy there was a big ordeal a guy shoved him off the track and he got back going, and then he tried to pass the guy again. He got out in the weeds, and it caught the derailleur and broke. It. So he has two DNFs this year, so it's not been a good year for him. But, you know, I think he just actually went in the house. He's been sitting in the shadows listening the whole time, and probably 90% of the stories I just told you, he's never heard before. So him sitting there listening to me, he's probably thinking like, you know, probably bottom line, I'm, my guess is he's probably thinking, dad wasn't always the fastest, but he was the smartest rider out there. Like, it's okay. You don't have to take chances. You don't have to do dumb stuff all the time to go win a race, like be in position. That's all you got to do. It'll come to you. And that's what I hope he takes out of listening to me.
0: And then that's so true. You're not going to win it on the first lap, but you can lose it, you know, put yourself into position so that you can win the race. You know, I mean, championships are more important than individual race wins.
1: Yep. Absolutely. It's it's okay not to win one of the battles as long as you win the war. Exactly.
0: Okay, yeah. more questions here. Fiercest competitor on the quad. And then I'll ask the, the same question on the dirt bikes.
1: Hands down on a quad, it was Bob Sloan. It was... Whenever he was around, it was almost like Bob's there, Bob's behind me, Bob's in front of me, wherever, whatever, it was almost like I, the easiest way for me if you know NASCAR and if you paid attention to NASCAR years ago and that number three of Dell Earnhardt if you looked in the mirror and saw Dale Earnhardt the number three at one of the, the big tracks in Daytona or no matter where you're like holy crap it's the intimidator well, same thing with Bob it was like holy crap there's Bob like you know if you give him an inch he's going for it you know but he was smart too you know so he knew what to do and I guess what, he would have been 34, I think 34, 35 years old when I was racing him. And I was the 18, 19 year old kid. So be your dad. Yeah, I know. And so that's why he, the, he was a smart, the smart rider. I was a young kid, like coming in there and like raining on a parade. And he was probably like, We never actually like had words like fist fought, but he was hands down the fiercest competitor. I remember the one year at Brownsville, we came down to the finish. I actually made a mistake a couple miles ago, but I ran him down. It was my home race and I got beside him. He wasn't expecting it, but it was come down a straightaway. with some like big kickers jump type things. And it was a 90 degree to the finish, uh, right-hand turn to the finish. He wasn't expecting me and I was just going for hometown GNCC and I was actually on the outside and I tried making the turn around him and he came over and got into me. I believe a lot of it was intentional. I don't think he wanted to hurt either of us, which neither of us got hurt, but he didn't care what happened. And whenever we were done flipping and rolling, his quad landed on its tires and mine landed upside down. He started it up, went 10 feet and crossed the finish line and got the win. But uh, I was mad, but it was like, the crowd was like, all my friends, they wanted to beat up Bob. I'm like, no, I didn't time out. No, that's racist. Like, I don't like what he did, but if you flip it, I I probably would have done the same thing. Like we both want to win. It's okay. So hands down, Bob was the fiercest competitor.
0: Um, on the bike side. Can, I, can uh, before you answer that question? Can I ask another question? Yeah. Do you miss, do you miss, did you miss that? when he's, when, when he went away?
1: Absolutely. It was like that, because that question was so easy, hands down the fiercest competitor was Bob Sloan. Like there was nobody after that, that there was ever, that I was like intimidated by, like I was intimidated by Bob. Like it's not like he's going to wreck me, but he knew what I was going to do before I, like I said earlier, like he knew what I was going to do before I did it. He was a smart rider. Well, then once he was gone, then it was like, I was the dominant rider or the alpha male rider, or whatever, but I never like went out there and shoved the guys around, like, yeah, you're racing for a second. I was never that type of guy, but it was like there was nobody ever. And that, maybe that's why it ended my quad career or helped end it, or I lost interest in it was because there was nobody that like pushed me to get to that, like, I want to, I got to beat him at all costs. It doesn't matter. There was none of that. No. I mean, yeah, Chad Duvall finished second to me, I, and I don't even remember who else after Bob. Um, Balance, I think, finished second to me once or twice, but Balance was a young kid coming in, and there was a little bit of, you know, I'm a little bit older. He's coming in. He wants to rain on my parade, but I was still. It was, it was no nobody even close to Bob after he went away. Nobody close.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bob for me, Bob was a very special individual, you know, cause I was a green kid and there's two professional writers when I was starting my career as a, as a mechanic that, that I think solidified it for me to to keep doing this. And that was Bob Sloan and Gary Denton, you know, Yeah, Bob, because I got to deal with him through the shop all the time. And we would talk on the phone a lot. Um, and Gary, um, this young guy, you know, first or second Mickey Thompson race, you know, my brothers, Lauren Duncan, you know, Duncan racing, Paul Turner, he's the guy, I'm nobody. I'm just standing in the shadows. And Gary Dunton made it a point to come over and introduce himself and shake my hand. And, you know, I mean, this is a multi-time champion. I'm just, I'm just a nobody. And, and this guy's making a point to say hi to me. Uh, And that left him You know, it still does. It still means the world to me. And, and, I think that helped build my desire to keep doing it and to learn more and to be better and, and to always be available for everybody, you know, Um, because a couple of guys that are, that are, you know, winning today that weren't winning when I, when my team was winning. So you you treat those guys really good because when they're on top, they're still going to treat you good.
1: Right. Yep. And that's, for me, I always tried to treat everybody the same, whether I was top on ATV, bike, whatever. Like, I want to treat you how you would treat me. And if they knew who I was or like, oh, you want to you, your Barry Hawk, whatever. Like, don't look, don't, I'm no different than you, man. I just, I tell people like if that ever would, and occasionally would, does still come up, I'm like, I'm no different. You always got lucky riding an ATV or dirt bike. And they're like, well, I think he's a little more lucky. I'm like, well. Lock whatever. I was right place, right time. But I'm no different than you. I put my shoe on one foot at a time. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead and ask the second phase to that question.
1: Yeah. So the toughest bike competitor, um, there's nobody even close to what Bob would be. But I would say the guy that I probably drove me the most crazy was Juha Salmanen from Finland. Um, <laughs> he was super, super talented. He came in and kind of changed the sport and would sprint away early in the race and get a gap. And then I could never run him down because he would get a minute and a half lead and just stay there. Well, I couldn't, unless he made a mistake, I can't go a minute and a half faster than him after two laps to catch up. It's just, you know, when you're at that peak level, you just can't go that much faster. And so It was tough for me. Uh, He was tough for me because he was talented. He would do that. He changed the sport. And he made me better. And I really, really wanted to dislike him. But I think just because it was culturally different for him, he was come here like almost like, you know, he he spoke English, but it wasn't super well. He's like, I come here, I do job, I win race, I win championship. Like, that's my job. And it was like, you couldn't carry on a conversation with them. And after the race, you know, it would be like, if you ask him some stuff, he was like, ah, yeah, rock section, I fall. Like, it was like, you couldn't have really much back and forth with him. But I always wanted to ride, try to stay close to him to learn how he sprinted away from me. And he made me work on my bike more my my testing to get it better, train harder. He didn't know he made me a better rider, but he did because I wanted to beat him. But looking back on it now, he was just a faster rider than me. He was more talented. And he also had the smarts behind it to put himself in position because there was races where I beat him. And especially in the rock races, I was always very, very good in the rocks. And that was his weakness, but he he was okay with it. He was like, yeah, I let Barry go. Uh, I get fourth today, Barry win, but next race I win and Barry get second. So I still have more points. I, I like, like his mentality was like, it's okay If Barry wins that battle, Barry can win a couple of the battles, but at the end of the year, I'm going to win the war. So that's why it was tough. He was tough for me because he knew all that. He could put all that together where a lot of the other guys can never put that together. So, but again, he wasn't even close to where Bob was at in, in the, like the Holy crap, the intimidator level, no one was at that level.
0: (laughs) That's pretty awesome. So when I reached out to you, I know the, the first effect when I sent you the first text message was, who is this? Yep. And then you find out it's me and you're like, why would he be calling me? And you obviously didn't know there was a podcast, I'm assuming. Right, um, correct. And then I sent you some information on it. Uh, you, you seem to, other than you're being, you're being so busy like we all are, uh, you seem to be pretty receptive right off. Did you listen to any of the past episodes?
1: I did not. And I'll be honest with you. I have not listened to a, any podcast in probably a year and a half. There's the one Steve Mathis. And that was probably like a year and a half ago. I left li- listen to some of his, but typically I don't, I could make myself listen to it, but I don't, it's almost like if I have time, this is, I don't know if I'm making excuses or what, but if I'm to have time driving to or from a race, I'm talking to someone about the bike team or how to make something better or something involved. If I'm going to the race, it's something about the parking or coordinate something. Some one of the riders forgot something, trying to take care of that. Then on the way home, I'm talking to the mechanics and the riders for the next five, six hours about the race that just transpired. So if I do have any downtime, that's when I listened to a podcast, which was probably a year and a half ago that I was able to do something like that. So I could shut everybody, shut all that off, but I'm like, you know well, what it's I'm, like after a race, you want to, you want to get all the information while it's fresh.
0: I know I've, I've, I haven't been to a race since 19, uh, because of some family circumstances, um, had nothing to do with COVID. Um, but I'm trying to work my way back. Um, and we're, we're, we're hoping that that's going to happen uh, sometime this year. Uh, because I, I mean, my, my, my whole thing in the, in this world is to, to build machines and watch them go out there and do things that you never thought they could do, or to take a rider that's not supposed to win and, and get them out front and, you know, get them on top, right. on top of the box. Um, And that's that's what I want to do. That's what I love to do is just to to go do the unthinkable and the unsayable. You know that guy's not supposed to win,
1: right? (laughs) We're gonna (laughs) we're gonna prove you all wrong, right? Right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's that's what I always like to do. Little old Barry Hawk from Smithfield, going out there and racing the guys from all over the world. You know, they. I I have a good friend that said whenever they brought Haw and David Knight over, they're like. They had to bring guys from uh world champions from over in Europe over to America to beat little old Barry Hawk from Smithfield. And I'm like, yeah, I never thought of that. I guess you're right. If it wasn't for those two guys, I would have easily three more championships. But again, coulda, shoulda, woulda.
0: Well, yeah, you never know what would have happened. You know, these right. the dynamics, you know. So yep. yeah, you, you've had a wonderful career and and. uh yep. I would really like to say thank you for taking the time with ATV talk and myself. Um, I know that there's a lot of people out there that are looking forward to this because trust me, I get a lot of feedback. Hey, what about this guy? What about this guy? You're one of the top names on the list people asking for. So we're going to get this posted and and, and get it out there. I will be back in touch with you for some things that I need. I know it will be, Probably inconvenient, but if you get my text and you're at a race, that's the perfect time to do a promo video for the episode. You know, you just hold your phone up mm-hmm. and bang, done. And, and we're, uh, right. And you're text messaging it to me or emailing it to me or whatever. And, and, uh, yeah, going to get you on the, get you on this skit calendar and get it taken care of. And I would also like to extend the invitation to have you back at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can do
1: that.
0: Uh, more so as possibly a, a secondary chat with you giving me the, some of the inside stories to some of the races or possibly as a group, when I sit down with a couple other nineties um, uh, GNCC racers and uh, swap some stories and talk racing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We can do something. I don't know. Um, if you've talked to Chad Duvall, but I still talk to Chad Duvall and even Doug Whitmer, my mechanic, I talk to those guys quite a bit. Well, I talk to Doug. He's one of my best friends. I talk to him every day. Um, And Chad Duvall, Chad Duvall, um, I talk to probably once a week. But what's interesting is Chad, his son Thad still does all the races. But Chad, Is a mechanic for one of my guys on my team, so I I I talk to him all the time. uh, You know about not just we'll talk ATV stuff, um, their current dirt bike stuff, do whatever because we've known each other and raced each other forever. But uh, yeah, I still talk to Chad and Doug all the time. So, you know, we could do something. I could line those guys up. We could talk the old good old ATV heyday.
0: You need to pass my number on to Chad and tell him that I would love to talk to him. Um I haven't spoken okay. to him in years. Um and uh yeah, the, definitely. His boy was super young the last time I talked to him. So
1: uh Yeah, well, Thad is I don't know, Thad's 29 now, has a kid, so Chad's a grandpa. So I got six yeah. kids. Wow. Yeah. Time flies.
0: Tell me about it. Tell me about it. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff. Barry, thank you so much for your time. I know that, you know, carving some time out for us is a difficult thing. I'm probably taking away some special family time for you.
1: Um, We're good, man. You're good. No problem.
0: Well, I really appreciate it. And, um, let's stay in contact. If I can ever do anything for you or your team, don't hesitate to hit us up. Um, I'm not afraid of, of going into the motorcycle world, even though we are an ATV pretty much. It, I'm an AT, ATV enthusiast. And we're almost exclusively ATV, but I still enjoy the motorcycle stuff. So if we can ever do anything for you, you please let us know. And we'll, uh, we'll definitely help you out.
1: Okay. We'll do definitely, you know, something, uh, one last thing before we go is, I don't know the actual physical address of where you guys are at, but are you in a business park right beside the interstate, or right close to the interstate? Duncan Racing is that?
0: Duncan Racing used to be in Santee, next to Gillespie Field. Okay. Okay, Now we're in El Cajon, which Interstate Eight runs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can look out my my front door and see the freeway, the cars going by on the freeway. Because we're just below it.
1: Okay, last year November, I I actually uh, Coastal Racing, one of our sister teams, does uh, trophy truck racing. Okay. So last year when the one thousand was over, the team owner he's like, Hey, I need you to take one of our pre runner trucks up to Tesco and drop it off to them. Mm -hmm. They're going to go over. We're on the same. I said. I said okay. So I'm driving. I drive out of Mexico, which if anybody's ever done it before, I went through the wrong lane to get from Mexico to America. I was, there was like the yellow lane, red lane, green lane, whatever it was, I was in the wrong lane. I got yelled at. I thought I was going to get thrown in jail. I did luckily, but finally I get into America and I'm driving. It was a Sunday evening after the 1000, I had been gone for two weeks. I'm thinking, I just want to go home. I got to get to the airport or drop this truck off and get to the airport. And then I'm flying home finally after a couple of weeks. I'm following my phone and I'm going and it's like, it's up here or whatever. It's straight up here, uh, uh quarter mile, whatever it is, a couple hundred yards on the left. And I'm going and I'm like, there's a Duncan racing sign. And I about ran, ran off the road seeing that Duncan racing sign. Well, I go up, drop, drop the truck off. I didn't even, I ran into one guy. It was like after hours, drop it off, leave and come out. And I was talking to someone after that, and who was it? I honestly forget who it was, but I said about the Duncan Racing sign I saw, and then Tesco was there, and there was someone else. Is there another ATV shop right there around? The guys that built the
0: One X bike are, are not yeah. too far from there. They're on the they're okay. on the on the frontage road or Old Eighty uh, or Lake Jennings, uh, right there. Um, you pass by their place. Um, okay, like but I thought there was another ATV. Uh, Is anybody
1: nobody specializing in it? No, not,
0: not where we are. No, okay, no, okay, no. nobody that does atv but yeah,
1: I know not when a- I saw that, I thought, man, I wish this was different timing. I like to stop in there and see those guys, but it was, you know, it's like you've been on the road for a couple of weeks, so it was like, hey guys, I'm ready to go home.
0: Yeah, exactly. I get it. I didn't definitely get it. Yeah. Well, if you come back out, please schedule with us and uh, we'll go get something to eat, you know, and
1: and, and maybe talk live. Yeah, definitely. Yep, yeah, for sure. We can do that. Don't know. Sometimes with the, the truck team, stuff happens like that. Like I may get a phone call and go out there tomorrow and it may be a year from now at some point. I may, get, I may never be there. I don't know. But it's just, you know, if I am, I'll definitely will hit you up. I appreciate sure. that. That's awesome. That's awesome stuff. Yep. You have a yep. great day yep. and a great night. All right.
0: And and again, thank you so much for taking the time with us and I will be in contact. Um, if you want to round up some guys and get some information to me, we'll get it on the schedule. We'll make it happen because I would love to hear some of those uh, wrong turn stories again. And, uh, okay. and, and just talk about it all. Uh, Chad is a, is a hell of a guy. Uh, him and my brother yep. spent a lot of time on the phone. I talked to him quite a bit myself um, when I had blonde hair instead of white hair. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I'll, uh, I'll see him this weekend. I will see Chad. So I'll definitely tell him to hit you up and you guys can do one of these with him and I can pick on him and tell him, tell him get, get his butt in gear.
0: I'd appreciate that. That's awesome. That's so awesome. You can do that. Yep. Very, Sorry, man. it was
1: my, yep, it was my
0: honor and my pleasure. Uh, you, you know, I was really looking forward to this, um, because I did follow you from a distance for years and years and years. Um, and, uh, it's always a pleasure to meet somebody. Yes, you have a, a, a solidified spot in history as one of the, one of the all time greats. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at atvtalkpodcast.com.
1: Brought to you by Take Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time.
0: San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International.